0: The night was dark, and the water on the Pacific Ocean was calm. The USS Indianapolis continued its voyage back to port. Shortly after midnight, nothing seemed amiss. However, lurking under the water was an unknown danger. As the American ship drew closer, Lieutenant Commander Hashimoto's heartbeat quickened. She appeared to be a large cruiser approaching off the submarine's starboard bow. The target closed the distance. 2,500 yards. 2,000. Stand by, Hashimoto commanded in a loud voice. Fire! Fire! <laughs> Stay tuned to hear all about that on The Reluctant Historian. What's up, everyone? I'm Liz Lawson, and this is Our Reluctant Historian. To go to Lawson. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So, if you love history,
1: or you absolutely hate it,
0: this podcast is for you. We would like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So Dakota, any guesses about today's topic?
1: This topic is about seamen. Michael Kane. Michael Kane is here to tell the plot. The seamen... Oh, God. Are, are being attacked by some sort of Loch Ness monster. Oh, okay. You know, and then weirdly enough, a fire starts <laughs> in the cab of it, of the seaman's ship.
0: In the cab of the ship. S-
1: the seaman's ship.
0: Sorry, I shouldn't have done a boat episode.
1: Clearly not. <laughs> so then the captain is like, first Loch Ness monster, now a fire's broken out. What's next? And then it only gets worse from there.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I think
1: that's what happens. Cool. God, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you might be disappointed. Uh, you're probably gonna be disappointed.
0: So on today's episode, we will be talking about the sinking of the USS Indianapolis.
1: Hmm, because of a fire. I see. That fire isn't
0: like shoot your shot. Like pew pew pew. <laughs> Does that what it mean what it means? I mean there might be fires. But like we're saying, fire is a verb here, not as a noun.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I still like my bet. My better.
0: Cody, I don't think I told you this. Uh, we have become sellouts. Finally. <laughs> sort of. Uh, I made us a link to a website called Buy Me a Coffee. It's sort of like Patreon, only different because our listeners get nothing.
1: You get shit all <laughs> if
0: you give us money <laughs>
1: yes
0: so you can send us money and- yes
1: and and like i know the website is like buy me a coffee.com whatever but it could be like translated to like buy me a lamborghini yeah or something, absolutely you know like yeah. you know or like
0: new mics is really yeah. what
1: this is for or lamb the point is that think bigger right you know right that's cool though i think that's a good way to kind of sell out
0: yeah so listeners, if you want to support our hopes and dreams of becoming famous, you can head over to the website buymeacoffee.com slash the historian. So it's really important to notice that we're not the reluctant historian there. We're just the historian.
1: Yeah, because I've graduated. I love history now. <laughs> no, because it's too long of a title. Just just kidding. I still hate history. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, you can go on there, um, give us a little tip. All of the money that we make will be going towards buying new mics. And for those of you that are keeping track at home, we do have five dollars so far put away from merch sales towards those mics. So thanks, Lexi and Fame.
1: Foley. Here we come. It's not well. <laughs> no, that's cool. Yeah.
0: So Kota, what's your golden nugget?
1: I got a bonus. Oh my god! I, was
0: say, I got a bonus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, fire. Finally, I, it's, it's, it's been 10 long years since I've gotten an erection, but it it has finally (laughs) happened. (laughs) Uh, no, I don't currently, no, I don't currently have a boner. Good. Although I did get a bonus from work. Bonus. And that did give me a boner. Sweet. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> cool story, bro. Yeah, so uh that is cool. I already, I haven't gotten it yet. I get it on the 28th. We love. We love bo- money. Bonuses. We're sellers now. now. <laughs> we love boners.
0: By a 12-year-old boy. Here
1: at the Reluctant Historian, we support boners. <laughs> yeah, so I already bought, uh spent a lot of it on a, a new video game chair that's coming yeah. here, which will be great for you, We're for your posture. For yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of... Kind of cool. Just we, we usually get a bonus uh, every year at work yeah, after really after cool. Christmas. And it's just uh, nice, you know, to... Yeah, especially, I don't get bonuses. Yeah, well, you make a lot more than I do. That is also So <laughs> there's also that. But yeah, what about you? What's your golden nugget?
0: So my golden nugget is that I have planned our first activity for the... English Through the Lens of Video Games class. Yes. So super excited. I'm going to try and tell you it real fast here. So okay, I started playing Age of Empires and it's like this historical build your empire, take over the world sort of thing. So in it, you can also play campaigns and you play like actual, actual historical campaigns. So right now I'm doing like the conquest of um, England. So Battle of Hastings, which mm-hmm. means nothing to you, but to our mm-hmm. history listeners, it will. So I'm just playing through that up to like King John and the Magna Carta and it's really fun. So I'm going to make my students play the game, pick one of the campaigns. They can do whichever one they want um, and then like reflect on their experience playing it. Was it hard? Was it easy? What challenges did they face? What did they overcome? Da, 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 da. And then one of the things that they have to do in the English class is write a research report. So then I'm going to say, okay, whatever campaign you did write a research paper about that and then was it historically
1: accurate and like what did you learn
0: and that's my first lesson i'm very excited
1: that's really cool that i mean getting homework that's play through this video game like (laughs) man i wish that was a thing when i was a kid i
0: know well and then i come up with some other ideas you have to write a review so i'm gonna get them to do a review of a video game so they'll get to play whatever they want and then like Mm. uh review it and That's, that's
1: cool that's um that's actually really a great idea if uh, some kid wanted to get into sort of, like, the video game journalism sort of Yeah, feel. okay, so you're,
0: like, reading my mind, because what I yeah. think I'm going to get them to do is have them... I'll kill two birds with one stone here, because you have to do speaking mm-hmm. skills as well. So I think I'm going to have them, like, presented as if they're, like, a podcast or, like, a YouTube channel, yeah. like tell me about your game so i'm really excited
1: you're gonna be teaching this class next year or whatever and then you'll just see me in the class (laughs) backwards hat and all hey teach what we learning today and then i'll be like i'll lean over to the next guy and be like i'm sleeping with the teacher
0: Well, they're all te- learning it from home, so they you won't be able to lean over to anybody.
1: <laughs> oh well, then I'll just uh, I'll write in the 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 comments or something. like mm. nice boobs, but sp- but spelled b e w b s. So everybody knows b z. You're, so everybody yeah. knows you're a kid. Of course, I yeah. gotta be cool. I'll tell people I'm wearing my backwards cap right now. I'm uh about to uh take a whiff of this blunt. A whiff? Yeah, I'm just gonna smell it. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, this smells like some dank kush.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, today's episode comes from longtime listener, Mr. Pat.
1: Oh, uh, Larissa's, uh, father. Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. I yeah. was like, uh, yeah, had to trigger that in my memory, but yes, very cool. Yeah. Super excited. Okay. I'm hope, hopefully I don't disappoint you, Pat, by me not liking this one, <laughs> but.
0: <laughs> uh, so when he suggested it, I got super pumped up because it's a topic that I had never actually heard of. But it sounds super interesting.
1: Well, they're trying to cover up Loch Ness Monster, so... Yeah.
0: (laughs) And like Pat said, it might be gory enough to keep you intrigued.
1: Oh. Yes. Mm.
0: So for today's episode, I already told you all what we're talking about, but I wrote it in here, so I have to read it. We will be talking about the USS Indianapolis.
1: Well, That's like you, how you, earlier in the episode, (laughs) I'm just going to break the fourth wall a little bit here, how you're like, I don't think I told you this, Dakota, but... And then the thing about the buy me a coffee... Uh you read that to me. A I few did. Days ago. No,
0: actually I sent you a picture of the text. Oh
1: right. And uh You it, forgot. No, no, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. Okay. I didn't forget cuz I and I I didn't I forgot you were going to bring it up, but as soon as you read it I'm like well, I I already know this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the sinking of the Indianapolis in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. What's that? Semen.
0: You say? Seamen? Seamen? What is Let Indian- Indianapolis? Let me tell you about seamen. Stop. <laughs> well, boners. No, stop, it. Oh, my God.
1: God what have tur- you done you're to you're me? You're turning into me. <laughs> uh uh-uh.
0: um, Yes. So, the Indianapolis. Have you seen the movie Jaws?
1: Of course. It's great. So, do you remember Quint? Mm, is he the, uh, oh, the guy that is hunting the... Yes. Like he's the seafaring seaman? Yes. Mm, yes, yeah, I so remember him.
0: He gives his speech about a boat sinking. Yeah. And this story is about that boat. Ooh. Yes. So he is saying. He says in the lines. He says, "You know a thing about a shark. He's got <sighs> lifeless eyes, and when he bites you, and those eyes roll over." Water. <laughs> so I'm doing a really bad uh, example of his voice. No, I, I
1: think that was great.
0: <laughs> but and I always always grew up growing up thought it was and their eyes roll into their head. And then <laughs> I actually like looked up the actual yeah. words, and I was so wrong. So say it again. You know, a thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, and when he bites ya, and those black eyes roll over wide.
1: Can you imagine if you just came in there like, no one would take it seriously, he's got like, uh his socks rolled up uh, over his like, uh, up to his knees, and then he's wearing shorts and wearing like nerdy glasses and stuff like that. You know, the thing about sharks is, <laughs> they, <laughs> their eyes roll up in the back of their head when they're... <laughs> Feasting, yeah, or whatever, <laughs> like, yeah.
0: So, yeah. so that's how you read it, yeah. Fucking nerd. Oh, so anyways, that quote is actually one of my favorites, and then I realized mm. I was quoting it wrong. So that's fair.
1: It's uh, well, it's like um, the quote from the Star Wars. Mm. Uh, <sighs> Luke, I am your father. It's not actually Luke. I am your father. It's actually, it's actually just I am your father. Oh. And you deliberately disobeyed me. <laughs> okay, Mufasa. Well, they're, they're voiced by the same guy. So. That's true, yeah. Um. Also, I would
0: like to watch Jaws again.
1: Oh, Jaws is sick. Mm-hmm. So if we do that, we have to commit to watching Jaws 1, 2, 3, and Jaws The Revenge. With
0: Michael Caine. With
1: Michael Caine.
0: Michael Caine. Yeah. So let's get into it. The story takes place near the end of World War II with the ship the USS USS Indianapolis having a really important role in the bombing of Hiroshima. The USS Indianapolis was a heavy class cruiser of the United States Navy and was named for the city of Indianapolis, Indiana. I
1: would guess that.
0: (laughs) The ship was first launched in 1931 and was a flagship for a number of captains. A flagship is the vessel that is used by the commanding officer of a particular group of naval ships. So a lot of the history sources of this ship start by getting into the construction of the ship and how it was built, but don't worry dakota i won't be going into that oh
1: thank god (laughs) i was like wow this is gonna be so riveting
0: (laughs) riveting because you use rivets to put the ship together
1: shut up (laughs) you shut your goddamn mouth
0: (laughs) um i will let you know however that she was built after world war one as part of the united states adherence to the washington naval treaty which limited the production of battleships battle cruisers and aircraft carriers The treaty did not, however, limit the number of cruisers that could be built, of which the Indianapolis was one. And boats are called she's, so I'm going to say she, and you're going to be like, who's she talking about, and I'm talking about the boat.
1: Okay, I, uh, assumed.
0: When World War II broke out, the USS Indianapolis was used in a variety of different missions, spending most of her time in the Pacific Theater, which refers to the waters in the Pacific Ocean, where the Allies engaged in battle against Japan. This area covers the Philippines, New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, Australia, and the surrounding waters. And yes, history folk, I know I missed a bunch of places, but I didn't want to go too far
1: into it. Yeah, so don't, don't add, add us in the comments going, actually... <laughs> in
0: 1945, the Indy, as she was affectionately known, went back into a battle, immediately joining a task force that was set to attack Tokyo as a diversion from the attack on Iwo Jima. This task force achieved complete tactical surprise as they were able to approach the Japanese coast under the cover of bad weather, and the attack was successful downing 499 enemy planes, a carrier ship, a destroyer, and a number of other vessels. Immediately after these strikes, the task force, of which Indy was one, raced to the Bonin Islands to support the landings on Jima. The Indy remained there until March 1st, protecting the invasion ships and bombarding targets in support of the landings. Indy also participated in a number of other attacks on coastal airfields in southern Japan. She then participated in the invasion of Okinawa. Here, Indianapolis shot down (laughs) six planes and damaged two others. However, a Japanese fighter was able to get past their defenses and released a bomb that plummeted through the deck into the crew's mess hall down through the berthing compartment and through the fuel tanks before crashing through the keel and exploding in the water underneath.
1: And the bomb was full of snakes. And then the indie ship said, Why is it always snakes?
0: That's what happened.
1: Yeah. Are you familiar? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I have no idea. Oh, Indiana Jones. Oh! <laughs> He's Indy. So I was trying to find a way to work uh, snakes into this. That's the best I could do. It's good. It's
0: good. I love it. I love that for you. So the water flooded nearby compartments killing nine crewmen. Notice how I didn't say seamen.
1: Yeah, very mature about you. Make, make me feel feel bad.
0: The ship's bulkheads prevented any progressive flooding. Now sinking slightly, the Indy steamed to a salvage ship for emergency repairs. And here, inspection revealed that her propeller shafts were damaged, her fuel tanks ruptured, and her water distilling equipment
1: was ruined. And her water broke. (laughs) You could have just said that.
0: (laughs) However, Indy was able to make the long trip across the Pacific under her own power back to California-ish for repairs. Most members of the crew thought this meant that they'd sit out the rest of the war. However, the Manhattan Project scientists had just completed the world's first operational atomic bomb, and the United States needed a way to move the uranium core to within striking distance of Japan. Whoa. So, after the repairs, the Indianapolis received orders to undertake a top-secret mission of the utmost significance to national security.
1: That ship should be on uh, maternity leave, shouldn't it? <laughs> it's weird that they're putting her back to work already.
0: Well, America doesn't have... Uh, oh yeah, leave, they're so like
1: they're like take the ba- take the baby with you, and that <laughs> baby was Shia LaBeouf. Boom, Indiana Jones four. That's where the baby came from. Shia LaBeouf is Indiana Jones' yes. son in that movie, right? Okay. I've never seen it because apparently it's a pile of garbage. But that explains his existence, is what I'm saying. He
0: was birthed by a ship.
1: By Indy, the, the ship. ship. Got it. Yes. Who is Indiana Jones in a way? Continue. <laughs>
0: Okay, so she was tasked with a top secret mission of the utmost significance to national security. She was tasked with carrying part of the bomb that would be dropped on Hiroshima, little boy.
1: They dropped a little boy?
0: <laughs> so they were called fat man and little boy, the two bombs.
1: <laughs> is this, is this a jackass sketch? Have you ever seen the jackass before? Yes. Where, uh, the, the really big guy, um, Preston and then the, um, little, <laughs> little person wee man. <laughs> run after him (laughs) big boy and little frat man and little man there we go yeah
0: the indy was sent to tinan island carrying the enriched uranium which is about half the world's supply of uranium at the time which that boggles my mind Mm. and other parts required for the assembly of little boy neither the captain charles mcveigh nor anyone aboard was told of the contents of the shipment which consisted of two cylindrical containers and a large crate so, like, legit, no one knew what they were shipping. They were like, uh, They didn't
1: know they were about to drop this bomb?
0: Well, they were carrying the parts of the bomb that was going to so, get dropped.
1: Wait, I'm confused. How does that work? They were they were parts of the bomb, and so they were taking them to be constructed there? or yeah. Oh, okay. Um, But they didn't know what it actually was. Right. Okay. And li- li- this little man was going to be turned into Fat Man? Little Boy. There's little two bo- bombs. Little, little, boy. little Boy and oh, Fat Man. Okay, so these were the parts of Little Boy? Yeah. Where are the parts of Fat Man?
0: A different boat, I guess.
1: Wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. They said, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> 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 Boom!
0: <laughs> the cargo was accompanied by two army officers and was kept under armed guard at all times. Indianapolis departed San Francisco on July 16, 1945, setting a speed record of 74 and a half hours from San Francisco to Pearl Harbor, arriving on July 19th, finally dropping off the bomb parts on July 26th.
1: This is where Speed 2 was filmed, Speed 2 Speed Control.
0: Isn't that the one about the boat?
1: It is. Keanu didn't... Man, you are on fire today, babe. Thank you. Keanu didn't return. There was only Sandra Bullock. Too bad. Yeah.
0: Indy was then set off to Guam, where there was a change in crews before being sent to the island let Lett, 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 in the Philippines, where the crew was meant to receive training before continuing back to Okinawa. However, she never made it on this mission. Before sailing, McVeigh, who had not been in the active war since the Okinawa battle in March, inquired about the tactical situation. Things are very quiet, Commodore James Carter, commander of the Pacific Fleet's advanced headquarters, told him. The Japanese are on their last legs, and there's nothing to worry about. However, Lieutenant Commander Mochisura Hashimaro, captain of the Japanese submarine I-58, had other plans.
1: What? <laughs> I'm going on vacation. <laughs>
0: With his nation on the verge of defeat, he hoped to take one more prize for his emperor. At a little after midnight on July 30th, 1945, halfway between Guam and Liet, the USS Indianapolis was blasted by two Japanese torpedoes. She was struck on her right side, the starboard side, with the second one igniting her aviation fuel stores and almost tearing the ship in two. 19-year-old seaman... There
1: you go. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Lowell Dean Cox. <laughs> what?
1: Come on, Lowell <laughs> Dean Cox. It was a. Se- Lowell Dean was a sh- Cox. Lowell Dean. Lil Lil John. Lil John Cox. Lil Dean Cox. Little 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 Cock. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get through the story. Continue.
0: So, 19-year-old seaman Lowell Dean Cox was on duty on the bridge at the time. Recalls the moment the torpedo hit. Whoom. Up in the air, I went. There was water, debris, fire, everything just coming up, and there we were 81 feet from the waterline. It was a tremendous explosion. Then, by the time I got to my knees, another one hit. Do you like my sound effect? <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that what, uh, <laughs> is that what explosions make? They don't go, Poom! they go, hum, <laughs> Like it's like a big guy, like lifting another big guy onto his shoulders or something. Hum.
0: Yep. The explosions caused massive damage to the ship, and as fires raged below, the huge ship began listing onto its side. So that's like tilting onto her side. Mm. During the course of the war, she had had a great deal of armament and gunfiring directors added as the war went on, making her very top-heavy. The order came to abandon ship. As she rolled, Cox clambered to the top of the side and tried to jump in the water. He hit the hull and bounced into the ocean. 12 minutes later her stern rose completely into the air and she sank the stern is the back of the boat cox describes it as i turned and looked back the ship was headed straight down you could see men jumping from the stern and you could see the four propellers still turning 12 minutes can you imagine a ship 610 feet long that's two football fields in length sinking in 12 minutes it just rolled over and went under is that what he said (laughs) yeah this was all of his quote
1: Oh, and then he's like, <laughs> and there's three men playing violins as it went down as well.
0: <laughs> We're not the Titanic.
1: Well, it makes it sound like it.
0: Yeah. So actually, I do have a lot of quotes from actual survivors in this, because okay. I think it gives a more realistic feeling. Mm-hmm. The problem is when I read their words, I sound stupid. So. Why? Well, I don't know. I just do. I don't oh. sound like a 19-year-old seaman.
1: I could sound like a 19-year-old seaman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Indian. <sighs> Indianapolis sank in just 12 minutes, 280 miles from the nearest land. About 300 men went down with the ship, including Chief Warrant Officer Leonard Woods. As the bow plunged and Indy-listed starboard, Woods ordered his men to abandon the radio shack. But Woods himself...
1: <laughs> they should have abandoned the radio shack a long time ago. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible business. Continue. Yeah.
0: But Woods himself did not move. Instead, he stood fast, trying to send an SOS even as Indy headed for the bottom. That's so sad. Yeah. So as I said, approximately 300 of the 1,195 crewmen aboard went down with the ship, leaving 900 going into the water. With few lifeboats and many without life jackets, the remainder of the crew was set adrift. So why did she go down? Well, the Indy did not have sonar on board to detect subs, and the captain, Charles McVeigh, had asked for an escort, but his request had been <laughs> stopped. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm, if I'm, if I'm going down, I'm going to be using my semen.
0: <laughs> but his request had been turned down. And the U.S. Navy also failed to pass on information that Japanese subs were still active in the area. All this to mean that the Indy was alone in the Pacific Ocean when it sank.
1: They just get a notification on their, uh, on their radar, just, uh, <laughs> Japanese subs in your area. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The Navy itself did not know of this ship's sinking until survivors were spotted in the ocean by accident three and a half days later. So what happened next is heart-wrenching and terrifying. Mm. And just to note, as I'll I said... will be the judge of that. As I said before, I'm going to use uh, actual quotes from survivors um, as I read through this. The nearly 900 men who made it into the water alive found themselves swimming in a vast gooey slab of fuel oil that had been released from the ship. Many of the castaways were upbeat at first... "'convinced that rescue would soon be on the way. "'However, moods soon began to change "'the longer the men were in the water. "'According to Paul McGinnis, a survivor, he says, "'While I was completely coherent, this was my thought. "'Keep struggling and stay alive. "'It was very miserable because of the sun burning the skin. "'One could not escape it. "'It was like having your head in a hole "'in the middle of a mirror "'with all this sunlight being reflected "'and burning your face. "'So hot. "'It was miserable. "'Like hell. "'You couldn't wait for the sun to go down.' When the sun went down, it was a relief. Then it would get cold, and you would start to shiver, and you couldn't wait for the sun to come back up.
1: Damn. So, how long were they in the water like this for? Three and a half days. Three and a half days. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Were that wait, were they floating on anything, or were they just like trying to like?
0: Like some ha- kind of caught onto wreckages and stuff, and yeah. some people had uh, life jackets that they used. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I guess they probably must have been holding on to stuff because you can't swim for three and a half
1: days. Straight. No, no, I. I You'd be dead. I would just, yeah. Even if I was on a life chat or life thing or whatever, I would just drown myself. <laughs> like I'm dead. That sounds awful.
0: <laughs> men began drinking salt water to stave off dehydration, and some drank so much that they were delirious. They begin to see things that weren't there. Survivor Tony King recalls that men started getting ideas that the ship wasn't far in the distance. Promises of pretty girls carrying fresh buttermilk biscuits or a cold drink just over the horizon. It wasn't hard to be talked into things out there. So a group of us swam off, following the leader, not wanting to be left behind.
1: <laughs> the ca- Well, I guess the captain died, right? Nope. Oh, he didn't? Okay. Nope. Sorry, I thought he went down with the ship. No, that was, was that the
0: else? commander of the, like, radio shack.
1: Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, the captain's like, and when we get through this, escorts for everyone.
0: <laughs> so these men that are delirious, they'd say other things like, the Indy is down below and they're giving out fresh water and food in the gallery. Granville Crane says that those guys would then swim down, and a shark would get them. And you could see the sharks eating your comrade. Whoa! In that clear water, you could see the sharks circling, and every now and then, like lightning, one would come straight up and take a sailor and him straight down.
1: So that's why he brought up, in Jaws, he brought up that story then? Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: One came up and took the sailor next to me. It was just somebody screaming, yelling, or getting bit. Whoa. According to Eugene Morgan, all the time, the sharks never let up. We had a cargo net that had styrofoam things attached to keep it afloat. There were about 15 sailors on this, and suddenly 10 sharks hit it, and there was nothing left. This went on and on and on. King recalls in an interview with History.com, There were a lot of sharks. So many. I'd see them swimming below me. As King retells this story, his hand traces slow circles near his legs, describing the shark's menacing patrol. His eyes unfocus as he watches the scene play out the predators still lurking just feet below him after all these years. His breathing shallows and tears stream down his tortured face. Oh, man. As the sun would glare across the ocean, the horrified sailors would see countless dorsal fins cutting through the waves around them. Drawn by the aftermath of carnage, hundreds of oceanic white tip and tiger sharks, which hunt in the Pacific Ocean, prowled among the living and the dead. Dean Cox recounts, We were sunk at midnight. I saw one the first morning after daylight. And they were big. Some of them, I swear, were 15 feet long. They were continually there, mostly feeding off the dead bodies. But soon they came for the living, too. We were losing three or four each night and day. You were constantly in fear because you'd see them all the time. Every few minutes, you'd see their fins, a dozen or two dozen fins in the water. They would come up and bump you, but you never knew when they were going to attack you. The following three days became a living nightmare for the sailors as the beasts picked off dozens of men, ripping them apart as terrified survivors clung to one another in fear.
1: This is terrifying. I I can't imagine, like, I, I, I would definitely drown myself. Like, mm-hmm. that is horrifying.
0: Edgar Harrell was just 20 years old when he watched this ordeal unfold in front of his eyes. All we heard was men being eaten alive, every day, every night. You would hear a blood-curdling scream and look and see someone going under. As the victim's blood spread through the water, the sharks, which can smell blood up to three miles away, were attracted to the defenseless sailors creating a feeding frenzy. Harold says, when you get some 900 boys out there decaying in misery, sharks are going to swim through there, and they're going to attack what's in the road. If I'm flopping around in the road, they're going to take me under, and they only have to hit you once. Some of the men would pound the water, kick and yell when the sharks attacked, and most decided that sticking together in a group was their best defense. But with each attack, the clouds of blood in the water, the screaming, more sharks would come. It wasn't just the shark attacks that the men had to survive, but also the baking heat during the day, the freezing cold at night, the lack of food and severe dehydration. The life jackets, which were meant to help them stay afloat, became waterlogged and many became exhausted and drowned. The men did get a small sliver of luck on the second day when they were able to catch a few drops of rainwater in their mouths. But by noon of the third day, the group of 80 men that Harold had grouped with in the water had dwindled to 17 that were still alive. Oh my. Yeah. Hope was rapidly fading as survivors became fewer. By August 2nd, the dead outnumbered the living. Then, by pure chance, on the fourth day, a Navy plane flying overhead spotted some men in the water. Just after 11 a.m., Lieutenant Junior Grade Wilbur Chuck Gwynn... Why is that his name? (laughs) ...was on a routine sector search of the area and spotted a winding slick of fuel oil. At first, he thought it was the trail of an enemy sub... Descending to take a closer look, he saw the last thing that he expected, oil-covered men waving and splashing in the water. Quinn immediately dropped a life raft and radio transmitter, and all air and surface units capable of rescue operations were dispatched to the scene at once. It still took a number of hours before rescue ships could reach them. After nightfall, the destroyer escort USS Cecil J. Doyle the first of seven rescue ships, used its searchlight as a beacon and instilled hope in the men still in the water who were finally plucked from their watery prison. Many of the survivors were injured and all suffered from lack of food and water, exposure to the elements, and severe desquamation, which is skin-peeling, due to exposure to saltwater and bunker oil. Some had killed themselves, and other survivors were in various states of delirium and hallucinations. I would have
1: been in that first category.
0: Only 317 of the nearly 900 men who went into the water survived. Wow. The number of deaths attributed to shark attacks ranges from a few dozen to 150. The sinking of the Indianapolis resulted in the most shark attacks on humans in history.
1: Oh, okay. Because I was thinking thinking about that while you were saying this. Because shark attacks, like, aren't they not super common? (laughs) No, they're pretty rare. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I mean, like... Like the one guy said, if you're in their road and they're like, hey, free food, yeah. I'm gonna eat ya.
1: This is, uh, what I'm about to say is terrible. Okay. Just prepare yourself. Good. It's like somebody, um, you know, like a fish tank where you, uh, you know, you pour in the f- fish food. Mm-hmm. These people were like, you know, it's like they sprinkled, the ship sprinkled in these fish food. It's a pretty for, good analogy, yeah. Thank you. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> it is,
0: it is horrible to think about, but. Yeah. I mean, it's analogous.
1: I am a glenalgurdenistic.
0: Four days later, the United States dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, causing nearly 130,000 casualties and destroying more than 60% of the city. On August 9th, they dropped a second atomic bomb over Nagasaki. Meanwhile, the U.S. government kept quiet about the Indianapolis tragedy until August 15th, in order to guarantee that the news would be overshadowed by President Harry Truman's announcement that Japan had surrendered. So this paragraph I have so many problems with mm. because, first of all, why are we dropping bombs on civilians? And not we, but, like, why are people dropping bombs on civilians?
1: Instead of sharks.
0: <laughs> like, Hiroshima and Nagasaki are just horrific things that America did. Yeah. Um, and then, two, the fact that the president's like, so I fucked up, like, we fucked up, and, like, 600 people died in the water, but we're just not going to tell... America, the citizens, about it until after I can take the glory for winning this war, which is it seems on par for America.
1: Yeah, super messed up though.
0: Yeah, I just like all of that just makes me super mad. Yeah. In the aftermath of the events involving the Indianapolis, the ship's commander, Captain Charles McVeigh, was court-martialed for failing to sail a zigzag course that would have helped the ship to evade enemy submarines in the area. McVeigh was the only Navy captain court-martialed for losing a ship during the war. He was convicted of the zigzagging charge.
1: (laughs) You zigged when you shot his eggs!
0: But the truth is, the U.S. Navy was looking for a scapegoat for their failure in the matter. Where'd that escaped
1: goat go?
0: (laughs) There was evidence that the Navy itself had placed the ship in harm's way. McVeigh's orders were to zigzag at his discretion, weather permitting. However, he was not told that there were indeed Japanese submarines operating in the area in which the Indy was traveling. And Commander Mochisura Hashimoto, the guy who sunk the ship, actually testified at his trial that zigzagging would have made no difference in the attack. Mm. Fleet Admiral Chester Nimitz remitted, so gave back McVeigh's sentence, or like said it was fine, and restored him to active duty. However, he retired in 1949 as a Rear Admiral.
1: A Rear Admiral.
0: For years after, he received hate mail, blaming him for the deaths of the men on board.
1: Did you think I was going to make a bum joke? I did. (laughs) I am above that, Mm. Elizabeth.
0: So back to this hate mail. One note read, Merry Christmas. Our family's holiday would have been a lot merrier if you hadn't killed my son. Oh, damn. The guilt that was placed on his shoulders continued to mount until he committed suicide in 1968 using his Navy-issued revolver. Wow. McVeigh was discovered on his front lawn by his gardener with a toy sailor in one hand and a revolver in the other.
1: Oh, Veigh.
0: I feel like that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. He was 70 years old. Many of the surviving crewmen believed that the military had in fact made him a scapegoat, and in 2,055 years after the Indianapolis' is sinking, Congress did clear McVeigh's name, stating that his record should state that he was exonerated for the loss of the Indianapolis. The final resting place of the Indianapolis was discovered on September 13, 2017. It was well preserved due to the great depth at which it lies among the rocky mountain ranges of the North Philippine Sea. So Dakota,
1: what do you think? I kinda wanted to watch the Titanic and Jaws now. <laughs> back to back, double well, feature. Okay, but so
0: actually, there's a whole movie about, I don't know what it's called, it's got Nick Cage in it, and it's like. Well, it's,
1: that should be a ride. I don't know what
0: the preemptum is called, but the end, so it's like, blah, 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 colon, men of courage, and it's about the oh, Indianapolis.
1: Um, something valor or something? Yeah, maybe. Yeah um or is it con air <laughs> it's not con air <laughs> no no it's not men of valor
0: isn't that what it is could be yeah it could be men of valor yeah i'm pretty, sure, not that's men a of movie. I'm pretty sure
1: that's a movie yeah so yeah. like
0: i would be very interested and then pat also said there's a really good book that i will probably read i won't make you read it but like
1: <laughs> yeah i don't read readings for nerds
0: yeah so that i'd be interested because i was like fascinated by this whole story i don't know Mm -hmm. if you were but i was like this is right up my alley and Mm -hmm. super super interesting especially like with like the part that it has to do with the bomb like how it carried the bomb to hiroshima and then like how the navy was like no we're gonna blame you even though you had nothing to do with it but we can't admit that we were wrong like, there's yeah. just so much intrigue and stuff going on with it and then the sharks yeah obviously. so
1: it's uh to me this movie is a mixture sorry this movie <laughs> shows you how much uh i've got really a pop culture brain tonight uh, tonight i was like just like, anytime you said something, I was you just were. like, there were some things I didn't even say. You said something about a cruise, and I was like, Tom Cruise, how could I incorporate that into this? You said, Okinawa. I was like, oh, that's where uh, Mr. Friend, yeah, Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid is something. from. Well, yeah, but I'd already commented so much, I, I wanted you to actually get through the story, because some people... I've learned, actually, like, the history of this podcast, and (laughs) I need to shut the fuck up more. No, you
0: don't need to. I think you're very funny.
1: Thank you. I am. But, (laughs) so, this story that is not a movie reminded me of three movies combined. Okay. This is some, this is like, if you took Pearl Harbor, mixed it with the Titanic, and then at the end of Titanic, there were sharks. So, Jaws. (laughs) So, I think Titanic would have been a better movie. I was just watching a video about um, how there was a terrible uh alternate ending to Titanic. Oh. And it's, I don't know, I won't go into it, but it, it wasn't great and stuff like that. It's a, actually out there. You can watch the alternate mm. ending. But I would prefer if the alternate ending was just sharks, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> Did you know that the actual Titanic is covered with metal-eating bacteria and it's going to, like, disappear Really? within the next couple when decades so
1: really that's wild isn't that wild yeah i thought yeah. it was just
0: gonna like hang out and be down there forever but not fam it's gonna get eaten by this bacteria
1: how long will that take i don't remember well, that sucks i feel
0: like a hundred years <laughs> it's got
1: left really I know, that's like, not, I not that might, much i might, be wrong. That, I might that, be wrong either way the point is we're not talking about the titanic we're talking about semen so i'm shaking my head i you were right. You told me before this podcast. You were like, "You're gonna hate the first half, love the, the second half." You're absolutely right. I no, I was like, I was ready to give you a five. I was just <laughs> like, I'm bored to tears. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you threw fucking sharks at me. You were very okay? quiet
0: during that part.
1: Well, I was listening.
0: Oh, you it were intrigued. I was
1: intrigued. I was okay. the. I was trying to entertain myself during the first half because I was like, <laughs> "Man, this sucks. I gotta, I gotta just be snappy, snappy, snappy." That part was
0: for me. Yeah, it's not well, all about you.
1: Well, <laughs> whatever you say, dear. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, the shark stuff was fascinating and horrifying at the same time, yeah. and that's maybe partially why I was just why i was just listening because i was just like holy shit like picture i was picturing myself a lot during this being in that situation and being like fuck like that is uh,
0: that's like your worst nightmare yeah i actually don't know how you feel about sharks but i do know how you feel about water so
1: well sharks are above are among most of my they're very high up there i would say as well as being stabbed in the eye with a pen oh so yeah okay i would say if I was in water, stranded, and a shark came up, holding a pen. <laughs> being like, I'm gonna get your eye. I would be like, ah! No! The worst! So I did raise, raise my rating based on the shark Thank stuff. You. Although it's not crazy high because there was that first crap you talked I figured. about, okay? Uh, so I'm gonna give this, and you you know what the tagline's gonna be of I this. I don't. Really? I don't. You, okay, well, it's seven bigger boats semen oh. <laughs> i've been <laughs> i've been talking about i've ta- been talking about sperm this whole time that's i mean semen true. um so seven semen out of ten okay how do you feel about that
0: that's okay i fucking love this episode so yeah you i thought. Can I, I mean i go feel like suck a dick
1: wow i'm gonna go suck a semen and on that note take us out
0: Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts leave a review, or tell your friends about us. Indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth.
1: And if you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian or on Facebook under The Reluctant Historian Podcast. You can also shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted to the Reluctant Historian at gmail.com.
0: So, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place.
1: Coming this summer, Titanic 2 Sharknado. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Erickson, host of The Open Highway.
0: You know, I've had some incredible adventures in my life, and along the way I learned a little bit about everything, which, to be honest with you, is just enough to get me into trouble. But I bring that with me when I sit down with guests from the worlds of politics, news, science, current events, entertainment, and more.
1: The Open Highway with Eric Erickson.
0: Join me on The Open Highway, and let's have a conversation